the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. So I admit that the title of the sermon may be a bit self-serving. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, John. That was one of the best properties ministry moments I've ever heard. Um, They need your help. Take some time. Uh, You won't regret it. They are a great group of people. All right, let's dive in. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. In an instant, Israel's world completely changed. The armies of Babylon swept into Israel, defeating their armies, and then ransacking the best that the country had to offer. Israel went into exile. Now, this wasn't without warning. In fact, the prophets had been warning Israel for a very long time that if they didn't get their act together, God would lift his hand of protection from Israel and the pagan nations who so badly wanted their land and resources would be allowed to invade. But still, it's one thing to be told that disaster is going to happen, you know, someday vague, And another thing entirely to experience it firsthand. But we all know what that's like, right? I remember back in January, a few years back, I was going to our pastor's conference in Chicago and hearing that there was this virus over in some remote town in the middle of China that I'd never heard of. But then someone said, there may be a few cases in Seattle. And I remember thinking, that'll be fine. That's, That's pretty far away from here. But then suddenly it was in New York, and I'm packing up my stuff to go work from home. And my wife and I are learning how to handle distance learning with our kids. Remember that? Yeah, you do. (laughs) The world of the familiar was gone, and we didn't know what was coming next. Exile. For Israel, too, the reality was that their way of life was over. The invaders made absolutely sure of that. But this passage from Daniel chapter 1 doesn't just convey history. It doesn't just convey the what happened. It also conveys theology, the why it happened. Not only was Israel conquered, it says that God permitted this to happen. It even, he even allowed the invaders to come and remove objects of worship from the temple of Israel's God. Now to give you the perspective on this, what you need to know is that in those days, the success of a God was directly tied to the success of the people. If you saw a people prosper, you would know that their God was probably a God that was worth following. And if you saw people fail and starve and falter, you'd know their God probably wasn't somebody worth following. It's not unlike the prosperity gospel that we hear about today. As Pastor Ali is fond of saying, there is nothing new under the sun. But right at the start, we see that this is not how Israel's God is going to operate. Again, we know from prior books in Scripture that God had been warning the people of Israel for generations 
to shape up, to love their neighbors as themselves, to seek justice for foreigners and orphans and widows, to feed the starving, to clothe the naked. But the book of Daniel starts with the result. They didn't do those things, so an enemy was come, allowed to come and uh, conquer God's people. But then we also hear that God is still God. Even though God's people have been conquered, even though they've been beaten and exported, even though the temple has been ransacked, God is still God and God is still at work. A nation's resources aren't just in their stuff. Whether food, precious metals, you know, whatever, you, whatever you're looking for, people are resources as well. And so... King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, as chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. So King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to remove the best of the people of Israel. But in order to do that successfully, he'd have to remove Israel from her people. This is called enculturation. People are easier to keep subjugated to the empire if they actually want to be there, and even easier if they participate. And what better way to do that than to show them that Israel's best, the smartest, the handsomest, the strongest, the healthiest, you know, are already happy here in Babylon, that they've already bought into the propaganda hook, line, and sinker. They're already participating. And Daniel, who's one of these smart, handsome, strong, healthy Hebrew men, it sounds like a reality show that we're setting up here, watched this happening and decided he didn't want to be defiled. So he made a choice. He became a vegetarian. As you do. Now, just to be clear, this isn't some sort of biblical plug for vegetarianism. It, that's one way to live your life. If it works for you, that's great, but this isn't that. See, back then, vegetarianism actually couldn't keep you uh, sustained. You couldn't keep you healthy. It couldn't keep you strong. In fact, there's an objection that he faces from the overseer in the midst of his training. God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, this is the overseer, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. You know, because of broccoli. My kids are taking notes, I think. <laughs> it's also not a violation of Hebrew dietary laws. If you do the research, you'll find that Israel has some very specific ways that you're supposed to handle food, what kinds of food you are and are not allowed to eat. But you'll also find that Babylon was not really that far off. Their food was fine for the Hebrew people. So if it's not a health thing, and it's not a religious or cultural thing, why would this defile Daniel? 
So you'll notice that King Nebuchadnezzar makes sure that the Hebrew captives are given the best. The best education, the best clothing, the best accommodations, and notable here, the best food. Food from the king's table himself. And then what we see here is Daniel's wisdom, because he recognizes that this is actually a slow, subtle path away from God, whereby he is slowly lulled into dependence, not on God, but on the conquering king of Babylon. Daniel decided that he would not let Babylon sink its teeth into his soul, and so his diet became his resistance. Now, I know that it's coming, and every single time I'm like, wait, that's your solution? The strongest empire of the world, of your day, lives in so many ways against the God that you serve, and vegetables are what you come up with to resist? Why aren't you trying to hurt someone? Why aren't you trying to take back what was yours? Where's the underground militia? Why aren't you yelling, not my king? Daniel and his Hebrew brothers chose to deny themselves the appealing benefits of the choicest food as a spiritual discipline, as a spiritual habit. There isn't a public act of defiance. It's a very private moment for them. It's a quiet act of resistance to enculturation, an act of trust in God to sustain them through a diet that wasn't supposed to. In the midst of the pressure on his people, Daniel uses the one choice that he has to make himself uncomfortable as a way of reminding himself of who he is. He is a child of God. He's dependent on God, not on the king of Babylon, not on his own strength to resist. He's dependent on God. But to address the concerns of his keepers, Daniel proposes an experiment. Okay, so keepers, I don't want you to get in trouble. So give me and my friends vegetables for 10 days and then compare us to the others. Just 10 days. And lo and behold, 10 days pass. And not only were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah doing well, they were actually in better health than the others. By the way, you may notice that I'm using their Hebrew names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are usually known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names. So they're permitted their vegetables, and what's more, when presented to the king, they're shown to be the finest out of even those that Babylon had to offer. This simple act of quiet resistance to the empire had given them, well, let me read it to you. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them on any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. It's pretty good for broccoli. Put that in your notes. So what do we do with this now? Like the Israelites, we too have entered a new season in our world. We too are in exile from the familiar. Our world has been irrevocably changed, and I'm sorry, we are not going back to the way it was. That is not how culture works. 
And like the wisdom of Daniel, we too need to find ways to resist enculturation to the empire of exile. For Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, resistance to empire looked like eating vegetables because in doing so, they were reminded that they were not dependent on the empire to sustain them. And how did Daniel become wise enough to know that vegetables were the answer? Well, let's see what he does that others don't. In chapter 2, all those in his profession were about to be killed by the king because some of them proved to be incompetent at their jobs. But Daniel listened to God, and he listens to the king, and in doing so, he's able to be this non-anxious presence in the midst of everything going on that was needed to save everyone. He interprets a dream. He actually dreams the king's dream. Read chapter 2. Later, we find out that he spends time praying with God at least three times a day, listening. And this actually ends up getting him in trouble, and then it ends up saving him. Daniel was wise because he listened both to God and to people. Now think about our world. In a time when everyone is shouting their opinion as loud as they can, whether it's on social media, in the newspapers, on TV, conversations, wherever you are, in a time when people are hyper-focused on their own wants, needs, preferences, and desires, in a polarized world where we prefer to defend the party line instead of articulating nuance, in a world of empire and exile. In a world like that, what is more countercultural than listening to understand? Now, we generally do hear what other people say. Hearing is easy. But what we do is we hear people are saying something in order to respond with our own opinion. You know, I hear what you're saying, but... To be fair, I can't tell you how many times I've used that phrase myself. We come by this honestly. We're worried that in the midst of everyone else's shouting that we're not going to be heard. We won't be safe. We won't get what we want. And so we too shout our ideas about the way that things ought to be. But in the process of doing so, not only do we become dependent on the empire to define our own value we also cease to see the value in our fellow human beings. So in this time of great cultural shifts where we may feel threatened for so many reasons, it is an act of courage to listen, to pause before responding, to carefully consider nuance and logic and evidence, to consider the possibility that we might sometimes be wrong to weigh all the possibilities in light of the scriptures and of the spirit. James said it this way, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Ouch. We are living in a time of challenging complexity. We've noticed that people's motivations aren't only good or only bad, but they're a challenging mix of both. In such a time, listening is an act of resistance to the mold of our culture. Because we refuse to allow stereotypes, 
or snap judgments or political rhetoric of any kind to define for us those who have been made in God's image. To actively listen is a way that we offer grace, dignity, and compassion to others. So the other day, my wife and I had uh, run out of stuff to watch, as you do. It's a pandemic. So we started scrolling through the Disney Plus app, trying to find something, you know, mildly interesting. That, and we ran across this show that's basically a bunch of National Geographic explorers getting Will Smith into nature and out of his comfort zone. And in the very first episode, they hike him up to the top of one of the most active volcanoes in the world with a blind guy as his guide. That's not even the crazy part. The crazy part is that they then headed over the rim into one of the most active volcanoes in the world, down into the caldera to place some sensors, being led by the blind guy. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in an active volcano, you kind of have to watch your surroundings. See, the lava goes flying into the air molten, but then it comes back down as these hard pancake flat rocks. Apparently, there's this kind of sound called infrasonic sound that you don't really um, hear so much as you feel. And every time the volcano spat lava into the air, the blind guide, whose senses had become more finely attuned, could actually feel it coming before everyone else could hear it and could warn them to watch out. So this, of course, got me thinking. We rely so much on our eyes for everything. But that's not where our only experience of the world comes from. For the most part, the scriptures were oral traditions long before they were ever written down. We were first intended to listen to them together, not to read them on our own. The experience of scripture is very different when we hear it as it was intended. When we listen to understand rather than hearing to use it to respond. So today we are going to practice this together. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things that will probably feel a little uncomfortable, a little weird. Just go with it. I promise you it's worth it. First, I want you to make sure that you have a few people around you that you can talk to. Introverts, I apologize. I am one of you, but we're going to try this. Uh, so just make sure you group together within uh, easy speaking distance. Worship team, you can come up now. For those of you who are online, this may be a little bit harder. Again, I apologize for that. Um, I hope you're watching this with a few other people. That's a great way to uh, worship together with us. But if you're by yourself, grab a sheet of uh, paper and a pencil, and you can write as our congregation discusses. Okay. Here's how this is going to go. Pastor Diane and I are going to each read a passage of Scripture. And the first time we read it, we're going to just leave a little quiet space. And I want you to reflect on a word or a phrase that you feel connecting to. A word that maybe you feel more strongly than you even hear it. Then we're going to read it a second time, and we're going to pause again. And I want you to do the same thing. Where is the phrase or word that you're connecting to? And here's the catch. You have to listen the entire time with your eyes closed. Okay? 
The text is not going to be on the screen, so there's no cheating. We're just going to read it. All right, let's close our eyes. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in numbers so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because your future depends on its welfare. The Lord proclaims, when Babylon's 70 years are up, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise to you to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. When you call me, come and pray to me. I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. Keep your eyes closed. In your own mind, what word or phrase felt infrasonic? What word or phrase felt even more than it was heard? This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart.
okay, you can open your eyes. Feels a little unusual, doesn't it? If you didn't recognize it, the passage that we just read was Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four through seven and 10 through 13. There's a familiar phrase in there, but the context changes a few things, I think. All right, so I mentioned grouping up. Turn to a couple neighbors. You don't have to introduce yourself, but it could be helpful. And talk briefly about what word or phrase stood out to you and why. Uh, And if that doesn't take very long, describe to each other the experience of listening rather than looking. All right, this is the part where you actually turn to each other and talk, okay? All right. It is so funny to me how as we listen to the room, there's like these ebbs and flows. Like I start walking towards the lectern a little bit and then all of a sudden the conversation starts coming down and then I back away and it starts coming up again. It's great. I'm so glad that this is engaging for you all. Anybody want to share one of the words or phrases that you heard? Just shout it out. What word or phrase did you hear in this passage that really stuck out to you? Build a house. Of course, the properties guy. Build a house. (laughs) I will listen to you. Make your kids have kids. Make your kids have kids. Maybe not yet. (laughs) Say again. Trust in him. Mm-hmm. I will hear you. Seek the welfare of the city in exile. So what was the experience like? Listening rather than seeing. Less distraction. More visual. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Concentrating. Good. I've done this devotional uh, with a different passage of scripture twice in the last two weeks. And I just was like, I have to do this bigger and see what it goes. Because every time it's been like that. It's been just very... Um, you feel focused more on what's, what's happening in the passage. Well, this is not something you just have to do here. This is something you can do. Uh, you can get audio Bibles. You can have somebody else read it, read it to each other. This is a great way to hear the scriptures and to hear what God is doing in the midst of them into your life and into our life communally. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your nearness when the world is changing and everything feels so strange and unfamiliar. Thank you that in times of trouble and in times of hardship, in times of pain, that you are with us. And thank you for this mission of mercy that you are on, that even in exile, we are called by you to seek the welfare, the safety, the prosperity even of the world around us, that you love the world so much that you send us to them in your name. And thank you for the hope in a future where you reign and exile is no more. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray together. 
Amen. Amen. Would you stand as you are able and join us in song?